In a way, I'm glad he prescribed that men. That really put things in perspective for me. I filled it, read the side effects, and thought, no, I'm not doing this. And came up with a plan. I called the doctor and told him, what if you give me six months to lose weight and see if the blood pressure comes down? I'm still amazed to this day that he actually agreed. He wanted to see how far I would go with it. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. What motivates a person to change? Is it a single defining moment? Or is the breaking point simply a combination of experiences, things that have happened over the years? There are lots of breaking points, typically, when it comes to weight loss. Some people reach the breaking point many times. That's why we call it yo-yo dieting. So then, what motivates someone to keep it off? What makes that final time of losing weight. What makes that so much different? Today, we are going to take a weight loss journey with Richard Hubbard. He was severely overweight, 350 pounds, admittedly eating far too much, even had become the butt of everyone's jokes, known as the finisher. He was the guy that people would give food to that they didn't want. Oh, you're not going to finish that? Give it to Richard. Holt, eat it. And he did. But being the finisher took a toll on him mentally. And it was pain that was only matched by the physical toll that he was also feeling. He grew unhealthier and unhealthier and unhappier and unhappier. But then a trip to the doctor provided a wake-up call. Nay, the wake-up call. Because it was that night, after going to the doctor, that everything changed for Richard. He began searching for answers, better answers. And he found them in a plant-based diet. So today on the show, we will be going inside the mind of someone who was trapped inside of a morbidly obese frame. What's it like to be that heavy? He and I had the opportunity to compare our experiences with that. And yes, there is a lot of pain there. And there's also guilt. But what there is also an abundance of at the end is hope, a hope that we can beat this beast called obesity. Also today, we will be hearing from Dr. Vanita Rahman, getting into the science of being overweight, the ABCs of obesity, as it were, talking about addiction, BMI, and carbs. And there is obviously a lot more on top of that that we will be covering as well. But let's start now with that inspiration. Here now, the story of a man who wanted to change and found the power to do just that. 
Inspiration time here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And I am joined now by another weight loss success. This is a gentleman who is now, he went from being a couch potato to being a guy that pounds pavement like nobody's business. He is a runner. He is an inspiration. He is none other than Richard Hubbard. Richard, thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Happy to be here. You you look so fit and healthy today, but I know, you know, a number of years ago, that was anything but the case. So talk to us about where it was that you were when you were at your heaviest. Yeah, uh, my journey started about eight years ago. Um, I, at my heaviest, I was over 350 pounds. I had stopped weighing myself at 345. That was like the magic number. I didn't want to see it go any higher, even though I know it was. And um, it was just a mess. Um, yeah, I, I was a couch potato, as you mentioned. Um, you know, barely moved. I, I had um, my problem was I, I had an office job, um, and um, I'm a graphic designer, web designer. So I sat all day. Um, upon graduating college, I, I didn't do much exercise, and basically would sit there hours on end doing work and. Um, not getting much uh, exercise and, of course, eating the wrong foods. So my weight uh, would balloon, and it just kept going up and up until um, 2012 when I finally did something about it. You said that you stopped weighing yourself at 345. Why did you stop weighing yourself? I I was afraid to see it go over 350. And um, I don't know why. It it just uh, somehow that number scared me. It didn't scare me enough to change, oddly enough, but I, I didn't want to see the number keep going up. A lot of people have that struggle. They just rather would not step on the scale. I know some people are even afraid to do that at the doctor's office because they just, I don't know if it's just being hit with a dose of reality or, you know, it does force you to kind of have those conversations. Yeah. I mean, I was avoiding all my problems. I had, um, I know I was probably pre-diabetic. I was never diagnosed, but I had neuropathy in my feet and uh, just various symptoms that I've read that are attributed to diabetes, and it runs in my family. So um, just because I made dietary changes doesn't mean that, um, you know, that predisposition wasn't there. And, you know, I was lucky it wasn't caught, but I know I, I had that and other medical issues that I, I just was ignoring all these years. Until so... When what did it take to get you up to three fifty? Because as I understand it, you weren't necessarily the heaviest child in the world. No, I mean I, I did it. I was slightly overweight, but I wouldn't say uh, obese. You know, I did. Um, I would say how you call me chubby part of the years, but I mean it wasn't severely obese. But um, I think what it was was just um, eating way too much food. And um, because of the lack of exercise, I, I was a binge eater. Um, I, I became more and more of a binge eater after college. Um, you know, people would leave food at work. Uh, I felt like um, Mikey, the the old commercials with the, um, what was it, Life Cereal? Life Cereal, yeah. yeah I felt like, uh, you know, people would push me to eat more and more foods. And, um, you know, they would get a kick out of it almost. Uh, there were so many candies and things around people other people didn't want to eat it and they'd say oh give it to me and you know i would always eat it and it's just uh, it was uh, the problem was too much food and too much bad food and i'm just amazed that i didn't um develop worse problems because of it and how old were you at that point 
I was in my um, upper 20s and 30s, most of my yeah. 30s. So when you say you were a binge eater, people would just give you food. And I guess that to me, I would say, or I would feel if I were in your position, almost like my obesity would be for their amusement at that exactly. point. I don't feel that way. Yeah. What, you know, what kind of an emotional toll did that take on you? It was huge. I, I felt, I felt um, disgusting, really. I just, uh, it's hard to explain, but I didn't feel very good about myself. It's, it's, uh, I, I think I developed depression, too. I, I wasn't diagnosed with that either. But, um, you know, I remember in the early 2000s, I, I just uh, felt like, what's the point? It wasn't suicidal or anything, but it just, um, it was an, uh, a sadness that didn't want to live for um, probably a half a year. And I avoided doctors like the plague. I just uh, never wanted to learn anything. So um, I was never diagnosed with any of these things that I probably had. Yeah, we hear so often that when you're overweight, it's kind of a vicious cycle because when you do feel down, what do you do? You turn to food to feel better. Was that the case for you as well? It was. It certainly was. Did you, so when you say that you were a binge eater as well, did you go home at night and just kind of by yourself, continue to eat yep. mass quantities yep. and try to hide yep. it? Yep. And I believe you mentioned this too in um, the other podcast that, um, you know, I, I tried to fast food restaurants as well. And, you know, I would um, buy, um, you know, like maybe three or four Big Macs or something, French fries. Uh, I remember one time um, totaling my calories for the, the day, just, just once, just to see what it was like. And I remember that one day it was like 8,000 calories. And I, I just couldn't get over that. This was toward toward the end of the, the binge eating phase when I was finally starting to stay, take stock and what I was doing. And I, it just was blown away by the numbers. Yeah, you're, you're a braver soul than I am. I never added that up while I was still eating it, uh, you know, just like you being afraid to step on the scale. Yeah. I would much rather have kept the blinders on me at that point. Like exactly. I knew that it was way yeah. too much and it was so unhealthy, but I was not ready to face that reality. Um, so when you, when you saw those numbers, you say it was toward the end. Why do you think then you weren't able to change overnight? I mean, 8,000 calories, that's, man, that's a heck of a wake up call. Right. Uh, well, I guess because it's, it's so addictive in some of the foods I was eating. I mean, I got better before seeing the doctor, but those foods are um, so addictive, like cheese and ice cream. They're, they're very tough to give up. And um, so it was a, definitely a gradual process. Um, yeah, I was more conscious of um, how much I was eating, but still I, don't, I had a long way to go prior to the physical. I remember for me it was almost – it was equal parts relief – and sadness when I would go to the drive-through and I would place that massive order. It was relief in the fact that I was going to get my fix for the day, my fast food fix. And I knew that as soon as I ate that, I would start to feel better. But it was also sadness in that I also recognized at the same time that I was killing myself. Yeah. What kind of emotions did you feel? I had the same kind of emotions. I had trouble putting into words back then, but exactly. It gives you some kind of relief, but then there's the, the sadness behind it as well. And it's really tough to explain, but you, you have both of those emotions going on at the same time. You know, it's always relief, but then what am I doing to myself? Did you ever wonder what the person taking the order was thinking when you were placing it? Yeah, yeah, I always felt that way. 
yeah. um, you know, especially with my size and, and thinking, what, what are they thinking? <laughs> you know, yeah. Is he going to eat I, all this at once? <laughs> it, exactly. I remember sitting there and trying to come up with a, a, a backstory, a fake story to explain why I was ordering so much oh, I've food. Done, I've done and, that. Yeah. yeah. And I had that just rehearsed in my head. And the one day when I did place that $20 order at Taco Bell and the, the woman on the other end of the speaker taking the order just flat out told me I ate too much and just being mortified. I mean, she was absolutely right. She shouldn't have said it, but she was absolutely right. But I was, I was mortified. But then because I had rehearsed that story in my head so many times, I was like right there, you know, it was like, ah, you know, it's the guys at the office and they always send me cause I'm the one with the car. And you know, this isn't just for me, you know, silly you. I don't I, think she I was have a similar story um, in the grocery store actually. Cause I, I, I was also addicted to diet soda, you know, stupid me thinking that, you know, less calories, I could lose weight with it. But anyway, I, I would buy um, several um, two liter of soda and um, especially when it was on sale. So I remember like buying five bottles and this woman uh, in back of me said, don't you know the diet soda is not healthy for you? And this was probably like um, nine, 10 years ago. And, you know, less information was out there, but yeah, she was telling me, why am I drinking so much diet soda? And I, I really didn't have an answer for her, but you know, that, that's how powerful addiction can be. It's funny how people feel like they need to speak up and and say stuff like that to somebody in, in the grocery store. And I've always wondered, like, is it because they feel superior to the other person and they want to put them down? Or is it that they're actually trying to help? The psychology there to me is fascinating because I also had a similar situation where mm -hmm. I will never forget, I had just graduated from high school. So I was probably in the 340 range, somewhere like that. Yeah. And I was in Costco in uh, New York City with my stepmother and my fa father who were also overweight mm -hmm. and being stopped, you know, by somebody in the grocery store and saying, you know, what are you, junk food addicts or something like that? And, and just... All three of us, again, equal parts embarrassment, but then yeah. anger. Like, who who yeah. is this person to say exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, I also felt the same way. Like, why is she bothering with me? Mind her own business. But, you know, I still don't understand why she was, um, you know, bothering. Because, I mean, other times, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this too. When you buy all this junk food, people don't say a word. But now when you buy um, healthy foods, that's when people start to comment. You know, I'll hear from others, well, you eat healthy or do you ever cheat? Or, you know, they'll, they'll say different various comments to me. But it's funny, I get more comments now about the way I eat than um, when I ate the junk food. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that you know, people are less afraid to speak up if it is a cart full of kale versus a cart yeah. full of potato chips, you know. Exactly. Um, but, you know, there's another part of me that kind of cynically wonders, if more people notice the potato chips than notice the kale, it's just people feel like they have the green light if it's a healthy food to say something. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, yeah, definitely. So what was it then that made you want to change? 
I can't yeah. imagine that it was one incident. I can't imagine that it was just a woman commenting on on the diet soda. Right. I can't imagine it was the one trip through the drive through. Like, what was it for it you? A number of things. Um, well, first, the big thing was um, I worked for the state of Connecticut um, as a web develop- developer for um, a local community college. And um, I had insurance for the first time, um, medical insurance, with the job. And they were changing requirements because of the union and, um, you know, concessions going on. So uh, one of the requirements was you had to have a physical every two years um, in order to have the cheaper premiums. Now, um, I don't know what ever possessed me to finally get a physical because I could have just paid the higher premiums and forgot about it. But I think somewhere in the back of my mind with all this going on that I just wanted to um, finally face my fears because, um, you know, if I could save some money, it it was almost an excuse to finally get healthy. And I I think I was finally getting tired of um, feeling sick. Mm -hmm. And also going on at the same time, um, I didn't mention this, my sister had um, anorexia for, for years and years. Um, you know, go, going back and forth, uh, she had good years and bad years and she passed away at the beginning of 2012 as well. So that was a huge wake up call for me as well, because look what I was doing to myself and I didn't want to go through the same, you know, fate as my sister. You know, um, I, I, I wanted to, um, live my life. I wanted to be healthy and, um, you know, so that was another wake up call. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry for your loss. I, I find it interesting that you have a, a close relative who was on the complete opposite end of the food yeah. spectrum, yet nonetheless, you still have two eating disorders. I would love to see some studies comparing, you know, how the brain uh, it operates similarly and how it operates differently but between the two disorders. I would, well, I, I would think that there has to be more similarities there than one would expect, but I'm not a doctor. Yeah, there's probably some kind of gene component, I'm sure. I'm not really sure. Who knows? Maybe it's, um, or maybe there's not genetics at all, but there definitely needs to be more studies about that. Um, Yeah. So when you you make this change, you decide to make the change, and at what point did you kind of get tipped off to the idea of of a, well, wait a minute, you know what? Let me back that up. You go for the physical. What did the findings show? Yeah. Um, so my very first physical, the doctor um, told me uh, straight out that I have high blood pressure. That was his biggest concern over everything else. Um, and um, that was a wake-up call because he said during the next um, that he wanted to see me in two more weeks. And if it wasn't better, he would put me on medication. And something about myself that I learned that day is that I'm very... Um, stubborn, I guess, and I, I didn't want to go down that route. I knew there had to be a better way. I, I never knew I had this within me, but I, I just didn't want to be um, somebody who was dependent on meds for the rest of my life. Because I'm sorry, because um, so many people in my family are on meds. Uh, my dad and stepmom, for example, they, they're probably on 10 different meds each. And um, my mom, she's a uh, type 2 diabetic, although She's mostly in remission, thanks to me with the plant-based diet. But anyway, um, but uh, all these things were going on at the same time, all these thoughts. I don't, I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be dependent on meds. and So that was the worst thing for me to hear. I, I don't know why it was just such a problem for me, but I, I just 
something about it that I just didn't want to be dependent on them. And the other thing he said during the physical uh, that woke me up was that I was morbidly obese. Now, um, I always uh, think of morbidly obese as somebody like um, you know, bedridden, very serious, um, they can't move at all. And when, when I heard those words, it just um, it scared me so much. That it scared me to change. Hmm. Again, that's a, that's a hard dose of reality. Um, it was, all at once, too. You, know, and... you say that you were scared, but were you also angry? Uh, again, I'm just drawing that based off of my own experience and being told, actually, I was in high school when the doctor put me on blood pressure medication and then told me if I didn't change my ways, I was going to die. And that, of course, it was, it was shocking, but I got so angry at the same time. Well, for me, it was more about um, fear, uh, fear of my life. Uh, I think it was less about anger because I, I was doing it to myself. Um, and more about, um, I got to get um, myself in gear. I, I got to fix this. And mm-hmm. that, that's when I, I uh, went home and started to do research. Um, the internet became the, the most valuable tool for me in um, change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I um, researched plant-based diets. Somehow I stumbled upon that and it really changed my life. Um, that, that day of the physical, my life was completely different afterwards with the research I was doing. And there was no turning back at that point. Before we get to what Dr. Google prescribed for you with the plant-based diet, I want to go back to what your actual doctor was saying as far as if your blood pressure doesn't improve within two weeks, we'll put you on this medication. What did the doctor tell you to do then to improve your blood pressure over those 14 days? I'm glad you asked that because um, I still laugh at it um, today because he never thought I would do this because he said um, to me that, um, you know, I need to join Weight Watchers. And I'm not the kind of person to, to do that. You know, I, I want to fix the problem on a temporary fix. And I have nothing against Weight Watchers. Fine, it might, might work for some people, but I, I don't like temporary solutions. I did yo-yo dieting for years, and that wasn't for me. And he also um, tried to fix my diet, which, uh, you know, I can laugh about now, but he would tell me to not have um, red meat, which is great, but, you know, replace it with chicken or supposedly lower fat (laughs) animal products, which we all know um, they're all high in fat anyway. And, um, you know, it's a joke. Some of the um, foods he was telling me to replace with from my old diet. This is bad advice. Was it that night then that you started Googling around trying to come up with answers? It was, it was. Because I also have it within me that I, um, I don't just take the, what the doctor says is, um, I, I shouldn't say the truth. I mean, I, I know they're, they're doing the best they can, but I, I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way. And I, I did, um, I remember reading several articles that, um, that some of the foods he was telling me to eat, you know, they're really not the best food um, to lose weight or or to lower my blood pressure. One, one of my focuses, um, interestingly, it wasn't about weight loss. It was about lowering my blood pressure. I was, um, I was a fanatic about it. I, I uh, really that that was my focus during those two weeks, um, during the physical and the follow up. That was my focus. So, uh, if I remember finding an article that said um, to eliminate red meat, that was one of the first to go. Uh, you know, eliminate um, 
aspartame, different um, things. So I was adjusting my diet based on these articles I would find on how to lower your blood pressure. And it wasn't working, though. Because two weeks later, my blood pressure was just as high, and he prescribed meds. What was your blood pressure at that point? I um, believe it was like 140 over 100 or something, or 150. I think there were a couple different readings. You know, the, the first right, time right. was higher than the second, but I think the second time was like 140 over 100. And, so, you know, it wasn't down enough, of course. So I guess that was, pardon the pun, a tough pill to swallow if you had become a fanatic about bringing it down and then you go back for the follow-up visit and you find out that you're still essentially in the same boat. Exactly. I mean, I know it takes time. That's Looking back now, obviously, it wasn't enough time to get it down, but still, in a way, I'm glad he um, prescribed that med. I never took it, but that really um, put things in perspective for me. Um, I came up with a plan myself, and I called the doctor after I had already filled the prescription. Um, just a funny side note that I uh, included in the book that I'm writing. Um, when I told my mom, who's a nurse, about um, being prescribed a med, uh, her response, because um, you know, she was a diabetic at the time, she told me, well, everybody's on something. You know, she's, she's the kind of nurse who um, you know, just gives bills to clients, so she's used to that. And she thought it was no big deal. But I just thought I'd throw in that anecdote there that what I was dealing with from others. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so um, it's a blessing in disguise that he prescribed that med because um, I filled it, read the side effects, and thought, no, I'm not doing this. And came up with a plan. I called the, the doctor and told him, um, what if you give me six months to lose uh, weight and see if the blood pressure comes down? And um, I'm still amazed to this day that he actually agreed. Um, he, he gave me, the, um, I still had to do follow-up appointments until the six months, but he agreed and he was, um, he wanted to see how far I would go with it. Well, I, I'm sure then uh, over the six months uh, that, that began your journey, you, you discovered plant-based eating during that time? Well, what happened was, um, I think it was like March, I don't remember, February or March of that year. I happened to um, be home from work. Uh, and I saw Dr. Oz and Dr. Furman was on. Um, I had never heard of his books, um, didn't know much about him. And he had um, some success stories on there of some people who lost some weight uh, with his diet plan. But it wasn't just about the weight loss. And remember, this is all about health for me right now. So um, hearing their stories, you know, some of them reverse um, heart disease and diabetes or whatever their preconditions were. And um, just hearing how they also lost weight, that was something that clicked in my mind. And he uh, mentioned G-bombs foods. Now, um, G-bombs, if you don't know, those are greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Ever since that day, of course, I've followed other doctors, plant-based doctors' advice, but ever since that day, I've been eating those foods. Those uh, G-bombs foods, um, I try to never, ever miss them. Now, I also do Dr. Um, Gregor's uh, dozen daily dozen foods and, you know, other plant-based doctors, but it's Dr. Furman who really woke me up to the plant-based diet. He came at the right time. I suppose it could have been any plant-based doctor, but uh, I credit him for, you know, really um, being the first one to teach me. 
it's funny how fate kind of works out sometimes, right? Yeah. You were home and he just happened yeah. to be on TV and it's just like, then the sun started shining down and you had the exactly. answer. Yeah. Uh, so, how, you know, did you just shut off uh, the pro the TV after that was over and, and you go to the grocery store and yep. load up? That, that's, just, that's exactly right. Every day since then, I, I don't believe I skipped those foods. They're a staple <laughs> of my diet. Um. You know, I just think they saved my life. They, they definitely uh, brought my weight down and reversed my uh, health problems. What did your mom, the nurse, think about the idea of foregoing the medication and instead focusing on nutrition? Was she on board with that plan or was she a little bit worried for you? She wasn't worried. Um, you know, basically, uh, you know, she was giving me the same advice to the doctor, see where it goes. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm glad she was supportive. Um, yeah, everybody seemed to be supportive around me. I think they just wanted to see if I could really do it. And and how was the transition for you? I mean, that's a big change going uh, to that versus for Big Macs. It was, it was, it, it was a slow process. And um, as I mentioned in my book, I was uh, seventy or eighty percent plant based for um, the first four years. I, I'd love to say I was a hundred percent. I do think the plants uh, saved my life, and it was those healthier foods that I was eating that did it. But it's really a gradual process. Um, that first year, I gave up fast food. Um, by the way, I, I um, saved my receipts from the last time I had fast food. And Wendy's, you, you mentioned a $20 receipt from Taco Bell. I, I don't think you'll be able to beat this. Uh, it was 30 something dollars of Wendy's I spent. Whoa. This is for a couple days, but that was uh, the last time I, I went there. Wow. Did you know that that was going to be the last supper, so to speak? I did. That's why I bought the next day, too. Wow. 30. Wow. Yeah, you've got me beat, man. That's that's <laughs> impressive. I'm curious. Like, Do you remember what that order was? I don't remember exactly, but I know there's a lot of burgers and fries and probably uh, some Frosties in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, man. Dag on. Yeah. My last supper was, uh, it was 18 inches worth of cheesesteak and an enormous <laughs> bucket of fry. I'm not talking like a large order of fries. Yeah. I'm talking like a tub of fried potatoes. Did you know that was your last meal from there? Too? I did. I, yeah. I, I absolutely did. And I just remember polishing all that off and I didn't, I mean, I say that I knew that it was my last supper. I didn't know that it was my final fast food meal ever. Uh, this is 11 years ago now. Um, I, I didn't realize that, but I knew like that was going to be it for at least the foreseeable future. And yeah. man, I polished that off and I was just in heaven. But at the same time, like I was both satisfied. Uh, I was super full, so I was satisfied there. But I was also kind of comfortable then cutting the cord uh, with fast food as well. That's what I felt too. Yeah. It was yeah. just uh, sort of a, a relief, I guess, you know, knowing yeah. that I'm going to be on the right path. And um, I, I love the way that you, a relief. It's like you, you've suddenly been freed of this burden that you didn't even realize had been bringing right. you down so much. And you know what's interesting? Um, I told you it was a slow process. Um, I, I don't understand it myself, but I guess it's true that the cravings really to go away because each time I gave up a food, I didn't really crave it. It wasn't tough for me. I guess maybe because I went so slow. You know, I gave up um, red meat first. I guess maybe because I still had turkey and things like that to rely on, but it wasn't tough for me to give up the red uh, red meat. And so I guess gradually 
maybe there's studies out there. I don't know if gradually is better for some people, but because of that, I think every time I gave up something, it wasn't tough for me. That's across the board. There wasn't one food. I mean, so often we hear, you know, somebody say, well, you know, that, that chocolate ice cream. Cheese was very tough for me. There it is. There it is. Always the cheese, man. Always the cheese. Really was the toughest. I remember, um, you know, pizza was a craving. I, I did have that not as often. Um, you know, there'd be certain cheat days each month, but uh, I gave all that up. You know, so at, after the first at, year, I'd say I, I was um, processed food free. You know, I guess that's the way to put it. As you're making this transition initially, did you have a menu planned out? Because I think a lot of times when somebody's not familiar with the idea of eating a vegan diet, a plant-based diet, they think all you're going to be eating is a salad. So did you know that you were going to have a whole menu in front of you? I'm glad you brought that up because I used to use a tool um, called MyFitnessPal. And um, that really helped me a lot. But the problem with that is um, it's very addictive. And eventually, you know, it keeps track of how long you use it. And if you use it a year, you know, it keeps count. So I wanted to get to a year of using it and, um, you know, you don't want to break the cycle. So um, I logged in every day, um, you know, faithfully. And eventually I realized that, you know, why am I doing this? It's just the same foods, basically. And I know I'm not never going to overdo it. And I'm not going to gain weight because I'm in the same weight. So um, I ditched the MyFitnessPal, stopped all counting, and it was pointless. There's no reason to count anymore. I had the menu down to a science. Um, you know, it just, uh, I ate a variety of vegetables and um, gave up counting. What's the point? Because um, basically I, I eat, I just fill up on veggies and fruit and beans. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so easy to fill up on those things, you know, uh, not, not, calorically dense by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly uh, dense nonetheless, because you, you know, all that fiber, I mean, it just satisfies the soul. Well, that's, um, that's, that's also why for a binge eater, plant-based is the way to go because you're filling yourself up that you're not hungry for those other foods anyway. Huge. That is a huge, huge, huge aspect that you uh, just touched on. Um, do you still find yourself though from time to time, like you know that you're full and, and, and you, you should stop eating. Do you still wrestle with putting the fork down? Um, I do. Um, I mean, I know I'm not going to gain weight, but sometimes I'll, I'll go for, um, you know, extra fruit if I'm craving something, but there's always something healthy anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Even if it's like late at night and then, you know, having trouble sleeping or something, you know, I'll grab something healthy and, you know, I have no problems doing that. At least I don't have the guilt afterwards that I'm doing something wrong for my body. Man, thank you for admitting that, man, because that is reality. I think a lot of times people will listen to a show like this or, you know, they read the plant-based books and they think that they have to be perfect. Yeah, there's no such thing as perfect. Um, I my, my friend, um, Anthony Masoa, I don't know if you know him, but um, he's another um, vegan runner. And um, he once said to me, which made a lot of sense, and I've, I've been that way myself, you know, he'll allow himself maybe um, white flour once a month or, or something um, that's uh, plant-based, but still not, you know, not anywhere near good for you. But he'll allow himself that because he knows that like 95% of the time he's on track. Because if you um, if you try to be that perfect and then you um, 
break the perfection, you know, some people might think in their head, well, you know, then they could do this all the time. It ends up being a habit. It's, um, you know, that they, you know, it's hard to explain. You know, if you do it once, maybe they'll think, oh, I could do it again. Um, so, yeah, so being perfect, I, I don't think you want to strive for perfection. But I will say, I, I don't like the moderation, everything in moderation talk. That has always bothered me, especially as um, becoming an ethical vegan. Uh, you know, I'm not going to break my um, ethical stance on being vegan just to have um, cheese, for example. Yeah, I think uh, when you bring ethics into the conversation, that also helps keep you on the, the straight and narrow as far as your diet. Um, you know, and and I just to kind of follow up on what it was that you're talking about, I've always said, like, there is no one diet to fit everybody. Every diet out there, plant-based or otherwise, is customizable. And you have to find what works for you. It's a very individualized process. And so my diet is plant-based just as yours is plant-based. But I'm sure that if we rattled off the foods that we're eating in the day, there's going to be a lot of differences there. Right. For example, um, I was interviewing um, Chef AJ, and she has a problem with um, eating um, nuts and avocado. You know, that, that would cause her weight to go up. I don't have that issue. I, I find, um, I mean, I shouldn't say eat unlimited amounts, but I do eat a lot of um, nuts and seeds and things like that. But um, I'm very active, so I probably burn it off faster. And, you know, it, it just made me think that, yeah, everybody's diet is different. I'm based yeah. on that. Dude, we are covering the psychology of weight loss today. This is great. <laughs> yeah, <right. I> know. <laughs> Let's talk about the the first year because you were averaging somewhere in the ballpark of 10 pounds a month, right? Yeah, I was. I was. Um, I was working very hard. Um, I probably didn't have to work so hard, but it was uh, this drive in me to want to be healthy. So, um, I mean, I know the weight would have fell off anyway, but here I am exercising an hour at a time on the treadmill. This is like six months after losing the weight. And I, I was uh, a maniac, really. I was doing um, challenges, weight loss challenges, like the vocal Y. Um, I came in first, which I'm, I was proud to say I lost the most weight during the challenge. Um, we had teams of four. And um, I did a couple of those challenges. Um, I, I really was uh, working hard, uh, working up a sweat. And... Um, you know, it was just uh, this mindset. I got to get healthy. I got to lose the weight. That, that's what it was all about. As you're on the treadmill, do you remember the first time you were able to run a mile without stopping? Yeah, I, I was. I was really proud. Um, it, it was an unbelievable feeling just, uh, of accomplishment because this is coming from somebody who was um, out of breath walking upstairs. I couldn't even walk up a flight without feeling fatigued and like that was the most exercise I could do and just um to be able to run a mile is just an incredible feeling you know almost emotional I just uh I was very proud of myself oh yeah it never gets old every time I see that mile tick off I I just I immediately flash back to being that overweight kid in high school and into my early 20s and just like you said you know oh, out of breath just walking up a flight of stairs you know and and then to be able to run that distance and to keep right on going yeah. it's so humbling and and you just there is that sense of accomplishment that comes with it that I think that you know people only people who have had the, the journeys that you have had that I have had our friend Josh Lajani has had yeah. 
they they will always understand that. And you talked about indescribable feelings earlier. That to me is one of those feelings that you can talk until you're blue in the face, but you will never, ever, ever be able to describe exactly what that feels like. Exactly. And you know what tool helped me that first year was the pedometer. I had a cheap little pocket pedometer. And every single day, I now wear an Apple Watch. But every single day, even with this Apple Watch, I still have to get that magic number of at least 10,000 steps. I probably average 12,000 or 15,000 a day. But that is the magic number that I still strive for every day. I have to do five miles a day. And um, it keeps me motivated. Those, uh, the Apple Watch and running your stand every hour is a great motivator. I highly recommend them to anybody. So when, uh, when did you begin running uh, in your weight loss journey here? Was that pretty early on or was that you talked um, about it being a gradual process? It was. Um, that first year, um, they, they had a requirement to do um, participate in the, um, it was a 5K. And uh, so I did the 5K and I, I was really proud of myself. And um, it, it was such a huge accomplishment. We, we uh, ran around um, the lake that was a, equivalent to 5k and um it was it was just an amazing accomplishment i never thought i would do anything like that in my life when i was in high school i remember the coach would have us running the track and i i um remember the bell ringing because i couldn't finish uh, the amount of times he wanted us to run around the track i was that <laughs> slow and that sweaty from doing it and i wasn't even that obese then i just wasn't active so for me to finish a 5K was just awesome. I just, I couldn't believe the experience. But um, I didn't um, fully become a runner even after that. You know, I was focused on walking. It wasn't until um, probably 2017 when um, a friend invited me into um, Josh Lajani's um, Missing Chins Run Club. And when I was uh, in there, I uh, was hearing other inspirational stories, including Josh's and my friend Anthony and so many others. And I thought, wow, I, I want to do this too. I don't want to, um, you know, I, I always want to strive to do better. And I always like goals, especially after I lost the weight. I realized how much I like goals. So mm-hmm. I thought, I want to um, train for a half marathon. And I finally did one um, last year, my first one. And um, my, my plan was to do a marathon this year, but with COVID, that didn't happen. But I am doing a virtual half um, next month. And um, my, uh, my next goal is to do a full marathon in uh, New York City uh, in uh, October of 2021. The big marathon. Yeah. They, they have um, ways that um, you can participate if you um, volunteer for the other races during the year. So I'm going to enter that way. But I credit the other um, runners in, the, in this club because uh, they really motivated me. I had already lost the weight, but it was just something to strive for. And I, I also found out that I loved running, which is incredible considering you know my journey. I never even uh, knew I had it in me. And yeah. I um, had this love affair with running. And here I am running four miles on a treadmill in half an hour. I did the... Um, you know, it increased my time recently. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I once asked one of my friends uh, in the group, uh, why is it that so many people um, plant-based who lost the weight, so many men in these groups, why is it that they turn to running? And I think it says it all. We run because we can. 
<laughs> and that's so yep. true because I can now, you know, that's why I'm doing it. It feels free. Yep. 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 It's, it's that sense of pride, you know, that it's like we were talking about that indescribable feeling when you cross that mile for the first time, man, that feeling just kind of never goes away. And it's still so freeing when you realize that, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can keep on going and I can do it every day you know, for the rest of my life, you know, it, it's just great. Um, real quick, because we do need to wrap this up. I'm curious, uh, the doctor uh, who you worked with at the beginning and, and agreed to give you six months there, you know, what, what has been their take of your entire journey? Have you followed up? Yeah, well, let me say first that he ended up retiring after um, the first year. But he did see my um, journey and he was absolutely amazing. He was just so astonished. And he told me straight out, he never thought I could do it. He said um, every one of his other patients, none of them have ever been able to um, have sustained weight loss. That was the first case that he saw that somebody who could um, maintain this kind of weight loss. Maybe it was two years uh, he retired because he um, he said that was the first case he ever saw of sustained weight loss mm. for that long. And mm. um, a follow-up doctor who uh, is... Um, almost plant-based. I think he has um, fish on occasion, but he totally gets my um, lifestyle. Um, It was not intentional that I got this doctor. He just happened to um, be totally on board with it. He also told me that there there hasn't been um, many patients that he's seen that have kept the weight loss for as long as I have. And I just, um, I am so grateful. I, I can't explain how I kept it off, but I think it's just because it's a habit and it's a lifestyle and you feel great. Yep. Yep. I, I wish that there was a way to bottle up, you know, what, what it takes to be successful long-term um, for whatever reason. It, it just seems to be, you know, there, there are not many people in the world like you or Josh, you know, any of, of the phenomenal weight loss successes that have been featured on this show. I would love to be able to figure out how, you know, yeah. to bottle that up and just give it to everybody. So, we don't have to yo-yo diet anymore. Right. Right. Totally agree. Totally. Uh, when is the, uh, when is the book coming out? It's called my plant-based journey to health. Yes. I'm planning a um, launch date sometime in September. I'm still editing it as we speak. It's going to be self-published and I'll have it on Amazon. We look forward to uh, reading that. It's a heck of a story and inspiring one at that. And I will highly recommend it already to everybody who is listening. Richard Hubbard, thank you so very much, my friend. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed this. And I hope um, my story will inspire uh, some others out there who are looking to change. a story. Richard Hubbard, just an amazing journey. Amazing journey. So proud of that. I always get so excited when I get to speak with fellow weight loss success people. A lot of commonalities there. The journeys are always a little bit different, but somehow the outlook on life after the fact, once you've reached that weight loss goal, is very much the same because that outlook on life is so much different and it is so much more positive because you're so much more healthy and you just you feel better about almost everything i'm really happy that richard had that experience and so now that we have that inspiration let's get some science 
Dr. Vanita Rahman and I had the opportunity to sit down recently, and she said simply, we are eating too much of the wrong types of food and too little of the right type of food. And when you couple that with an increasingly sedentary lifestyle, what you have then, my friend, is the recipe for a perfect storm of obesity. So during this conversation, we're going to get a little bit nerdy at times, as we do. We're going to be talking about some of the studies comparing the typical BMI of vegans and vegetarians to those who eat the standard American diet. And then we're going to dive real deep on this, looking at how it is that when there's such a huge emphasis on low-carb diets for weight loss, that people who eat a plant-based diet and weigh more carbs than those eating the standard menu with less carbs, how those vegans and vegetarians still tend to weigh significantly less. Dr. Ramanshi breaks that down beautifully, really, really hammering home the point that not all carbs are created equally. Another issue we'll be tackling today, the addictive properties of fast food and the tailoring of this food, the creating it to have just the right amount of salt and sugar in there to get us hooked on it. So it calls to us in the night and we can't go a day without getting our fast food fix. And then so often when we're beginning a new diet, first question we might want to ask is, well, how quickly might I see some results? So Dr. Ramon, she's going to answer that question specifically for a plant-based diet. But as she points out, long before the weight is ever gone, oftentimes we start to feel better. And that is almost more important than the results that we see on the scale. If we start to feel better, we're going to want to do better, and we just keep going and going with it. So some amazing motivation there. And speaking of motivation, there's a reason that she's motivated to help her own patients tackle obesity. It's because she too is an obesity survivor herself. She has been in the fast food trenches but she was able to turn over a healthier leaf. Dr. Ramon, thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks, Chuck, for having me. Let's talk about obesity because this is a huge problem in the U.S., globally, really, but here in the U.S., uh, the prevalence of obesity, more than 42%, according to the latest CDC statistics, four out of 10 people, almost half of the entire U.S. population, obese, And that's a significant increase uh, from just the beginning of, uh, what, the last 20 years. Uh, The trend is headed in the wrong direction, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is, Chuck. And, you know, we've been seeing this for decades now where um, the prevalence of obesity is rising, not only in adults, but also in children. Um, So like you said, over 42% of adults are obese, according to the CDC, but nearly 20% of teens are obese. Uh, 
Nearly 18% of school-age children are obese, and nearly 15% of preschoolers are obese. So this is a trend that starts very early in childhood, and things just continue to get worse as people get older. So very serious. I know for me, everything kind of began when I was a, a young kid, and I remember going to my grandma's house. I tell this story on the show quite frequently, going to my grandma's house, my brother and I, after school, and it was always you know, homemade hamburgers, fried in bacon grease with French fries and a can of baked beans, which counted as the vegetable, and then a side of macaroni and cheese to polish everything off. You know, so that was kind of the the diet growing up, and it's no surprise then that a great uh, growing number of adults are also finding themselves in this obesity trap. We were just talking about the current stats, but if you look ahead, I know that a group of researchers at Harvard said that half of the entire U.S. adult population by the year twenty thirty will be obese, and a quarter of the entire population will have what's referred to as severe obesity, and so. What's interesting to me, Dr. Rahman, is that we have this focus now, I feel like, on leading healthier lifestyles. You can't turn on the TV without seeing ways to lose weight and get healthy, and yet we see these numbers continue to climb. What is the disconnect? What's happening here? Yeah, you know, great question, Chuck. So uh, it's complicated. Our you know, if you look about why, think really about why people gain weight, there are two basic things that are happening. Um, it has to do with the quality of food we're eating and then also with the quantity of food we're eating. And both are heavily influenced by our food environment, uh, which in turn is influenced by the food industry, special interest groups. So we as a society are eating too much of the wrong types of food and eating too little of the right types of food. And all of this is leading to an increase in body weight. And at the same time, um, you know, we're more sedentary than we used to be. We spend a lot of time in front of a monitor or a TV. Kids are playing less outside. They're playing on video games more. So it's sort of the perfect storm to lead to this obesity epidemic. Yeah, you're not kidding. You know, I was thinking the other day, you know, like I'm, I'm honestly getting less exercise now <laughs> working from home than I did in the office. And I'm trying to figure out ways to incorporate more of it in in my daily routine and i believe that it's going to wind up being you know just going for a walk or a quick run after mm -hmm. the show uh every day um but let's let's key in on diets specifically i went and i uh put on my researcher hat dove, dove into my old cub reporter uh background here and i looked at the adventist health study too mm -hmm. very famous study we we use this for quite a few things but specifically they really compared the calories and the fat the saturated fat carbohydrates uh the nutrient intake basically of vegans versus non-vegans uh broken down by men versus women and and if you just look Dr. Rahman, at the caloric intake from this on average per day, you really see a striking difference between those who are eating a plant-based diet versus those who are eating that standard American diet. Let's start with the men here. Uh, the average man on that standard American diet is eating close to 2,200 calories per day, whereas the plant-based male is taking in right around 1,900 calories. Now, here's where it gets particularly interesting, right? So that's a 300-calorie difference. That's pretty significant when you add that up, especially over the course of a week or a year. But let's go ahead and, and break this down then by fat. You look at just total fat intake for men, 78 grams on the mm -hmm. standard American diet. 
For vegan men, only 60 grams. Take it that a step further. I think this is really critical. Saturated fat, 26 grams per day on the standard American diet versus only 11 on a plant-based diet. And then, and then here's what I absolutely love. And I would love for you to chime in on this. Carbohydrate intake. There is such an emphasis put on low carb diets for Mm -hmm. weight loss, right? The standard American diet, the average man will eat 256 grams of carbs every day. And then the plant-based man who is taking in fewer calories is eating more carbs, 262 grams. Where are we going wrong with this whole carbohydrate theory? Because clearly plant-based diets, lower BMIs, healthier lifestyle, healthier overall compared to the standard American diet, which is eating fewer carbs. And yet they have the higher BMI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is what seems like a paradox, but it really isn't if we kind of break it down. So carbohydrates, it's not that carbohydrates are bad. It's what is the source of those carbohydrates. So we want to stick with whole grains, minimize added sugar, eat lots of fruits. But instead, we started eating refined grains, drinking fruit juice, drinking soda, eating high sugary foods like baked goods, ice creams, desserts. And that is what caused the weight gain. It wasn't the fruit. It wasn't the vegetable. It wasn't the grains. But somehow that message got lost and um, carbs got vilified. And generally when people say carbs, they're referring to grains. So people started avoiding grains, but it wasn't really the grains. It was the fact that we were refining them and that we were eating a lot of high sugar foods. That was the problem. Uh, And so in this Adventist study, you see that people are eating more carbohydrates, yet they weigh less. They have lower BMIs because they're eating those healthier nutrients uh, as opposed to the sort of junkier carbohydrates. We were talking about the men or just counting those calories among the men, but the story is virtually identical among women. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely the same pretty much across the board, lower caloric intake for women, generally speaking overall. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, more carbs for vegan women, less carbs for women eating the standard American diet, Mm -hmm. more calories for the standard American diet, less calories and fat for the plant-based diet among women as well. I mean, the results are, are just identical and they speak for themselves. And a lot of people also get hung up on the idea that fruit is bad. And because of the sugar content there, that gets lumped into that same carbohydrate group as say donuts or a piece of Mm -hmm. white bread, something like that. But can you just remind us why those uh, carbs are broken down, absorbed in the body differently than the refined carbs? Yeah. So, you know, this is a great point. Um, A fruit, if you look at it, if you look at an apple or an orange, it's got several types of nutrients in it. It's got some sugar that's naturally found in the fruit, but fruits are 90% water. So we're also getting a lot of water with it. And then we're getting starch, which is a healthy type of carbohydrate. And we're getting loads of fiber, which we often forget that fiber is a type of carbohydrate and we need it. So, and the fruit is full of uh, vitamins and minerals like vitamin C um, and other antioxidants that are healthy for us. Now, on the other hand, if 
I, let's say I have an orange, which has 50 calories. I get not just those calories, but I get all those other nutrients. If I were to just eat those 50 calories or consume them in the form of say a soda, you know, a third of a can of regular soda, maybe about 50 calories, all I'm really getting is water and sugar. I'm not getting any fiber. I'm not getting any starch. I'm not getting any of the vitamins or other nutrients that I need. So it's basically, it's basically just empty calories. Um, and it's not nourishing my body, whereas the fruit was providing the same calories, but it's also nourishing me. So, um, it, it impacts us in several ways. The fiber slows down the digestion. We absorb the calories more slowly. We absorb the sugar more slowly. Our sugar levels, instead of spiking up and going down, are more stable. Um, and we feel satiated because the fiber helps us feel full. Fiber is just like the nutrient du jour here on the exam room. I feel like we can't go a single show with it coming up at least once. Everybody loves, I mean, Lee Crosby, the dietitian, the fiber queen. I mean, for right. goodness sake, she's a staple on the show. Um, I want to talk quickly before we get into some stories and a little bit more science. I want to talk about BMIs, the body mass index. There mm -hmm. is some controversy there about how accurate these BMIs can actually be in determining how healthy a person is. But in your experience as a physician, do you find the BMI scale to be a helpful and accurate tool? I I do. Um, so BMI is helpful, but we do need to be aware of its limitations. It's not a perfect tool. So a BMI is roughly the ratio of our weight divided by our height. Um, it's not quite as simple as that. But the higher the number, um, the more health problems we generally see. But, you know, not all BMIs are equal. So, for example, someone who's six feet and 150 pounds has a certain BMI, and that person may not exercise at all. On the other hand, someone who's six feet and 150 pounds who exercises a lot has a completely different body composition than the other person, and the BMI just doesn't reflect that. Where I find it's most helpful is to track a BMI for a given patient. And so as we see their health and we see where their BMI was before and what their health was like, where it is now and what their health is like, it's much more helpful to track within a person. But even within a population, it can be helpful. Not perfect, though. You know, I will tell you this. Um, when I look at, I, I don't know if uh, our director, Emily, can pull up this, uh, another before photo of me here that I have on the screen. Okay, so this is me close to my max weight of 420 pounds. I think I literally probably just walked from the inside. I'm headed uh, back toward the radio studio when I worked at Big 100.3 here in Washington. How fitting is that? Um, but you notice the, the flush face. Anyway, my BMI at that point, Dr. Rahman, was 69.9, almost 70. 420 pounds there. I'm 5'5". I'm a short guy. So let's talk about the BMI scale. Let's define that before we move on. Technically, what is the number for somebody to be overweight? And then what is it for somebody to be obese? Yeah. So roughly speaking, BMI over 25 is considered overweight and over 30 is considered obese. Um, and then over 40, we call it severe obesity. Um, 
Now, this scale really applies to Caucasians um, and, and Blacks. It does not apply to Asians. So if you are of Asian descent, unfortunately, you are considered overweight or obese at a much lower BMI. And that number varies a little bit. Um, the, raise, the reason being we as Asians just carry a lot more body fat at any given BMI. So our risk for weight-related complications start starts at a much lower BMI. Um, you know, often for us, the ideal BMI is around 21. For I, I honestly did not know that. That's yeah. very interesting. Is, is there any other race that's uh, affected like that? Well, you know, it's really different. Um, so research has shown if you take an Asian person, um, a Caucasian person, and uh, an African person uh, or someone of African descent, and you look at their height, weight, and BMI, and if they have the same height, the same weight, and they have the same BMI, um, the Asian will have the most percentage body fat, the Caucasian will be in the middle, and the person of African descent will have the most muscle mass at that same BMI. So definitely race plays a key role in this. Um, and, you know, we can't change that. So it's really important for each of us to try to stay within our healthy range of BMI. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. That Wow. Yeah. So actually, if you, um, you know, I'm from India and if you walk around the streets of India, which I did just a few months ago when I was there promoting our message, um, it's so frequent to see really people who look slender, but then they have quite a bit of belly fat. It's, it's called an Indian phenotype. That's just us. Um, and so we often see these thin Indian people who have a BMI of 22, but they'll have diabetes because it's that body composition that changes everything. You know, I, I remember speaking with you on the exam room podcast about your own weight loss story and how you began to put on weight after you immigrated here to the U.S. as mm -hmm. a teenager. And it, I remember kind of feeling like we bonded over the fact that the food, the standard American diet, a lot of that food is so highly addictive that it's really hard to a not continue eating it, but b certainly lose weight if you're eating that standard mm -hmm. American diet. Let's talk a little bit about the addictive properties of some of the foods that are out there. You know, the fast food, the cheese, like all of that is designed to get you hooked and hooked Absolutely. in a big way. Yeah. So you know, actually, Chuck, there's a whole scientific community that does food research. Um, and what the food industry does is they actually hire um, scientists and researchers to see um, the ideal level of sweetness in a food to make it the most appealing. So we know for sugar that, you know, the more sweetener we add, it tastes good, but then there comes a point where we don't like it. And so the food industry tries to get to that sweet spot that's where they have us. We keep going back and sugar is addictive. Um, and they know the same thing for salt. There's a point where it's not tasty enough without salt, but then too much salt sort of ruins the taste. Um, now, and so then the sugar, uh, the food industry tries to get to that spot so that they really have us hooked on that level of salt. Um, and then lastly, for fat, it's really interesting. What they found is that there is no maximum point for fat. The more we add to food, the better it tastes. And it gives that melt in our mouth feeling really good. So the food industry by design tries to add as much fat as they can to make the food as tasty and appealing so that we as consumers keep coming back. So there is definitely a whole science to it. And, and it shows that high levels of fat, 
salt, and sugar are all addictive. Um, but here's the good news. We can wean our taste buds. We can dial down how much sweetness we like, how much fat we like, how much um, salt we like. And after a few weeks of adjusting that, we start to like uh, the lower level. So we can change this. We can. And I will tell you from experience that it takes an inordinate amount of work and in my case, sometimes drastic measures. My experience with food addiction was just, I, I would say that it's insane. <laughs> I, I remember trying to lose weight and then my brain, when I would stop going to fast food restaurants, like my brain would just spaz out because I was used to getting that Almost all day, every day. There wasn't a single day that went by that I did not go through the Taco Bell drive-through, dropping twenty dollars on food every single time. And inevitably, by the second or third day, I was not feeling well physically, and I was not somebody that you wanted to be around either because I was angry. I mean, I was a step and a half past hangry. Like I was just a flat out jerk. I will fully admit that right now. And I remember one particular instance, I was trying so hard to lose weight because I was actually being paid to do it to endorse this wild thing called the cookie diet on the radio. But I stopped going through the drive-thru and by the second or third night, I was so angry. I wound up, boom, putting my fist through a wall Mm -hmm. and then boom, putting my fist through a door. That was food addiction to me. And that was the real wake up call. Like, oh my God, I have a problem here. And I knew that, and I still couldn't help myself because a few hours later, after everyone had gone to bed, I snuck out of the house, went to the 24-hour drive through sat down in the dark in the basement, and ate all $20 worth of food and just wept because, one, I felt this great release of anger, but two, I was also extremely sad because I knew I was hooked on this just like a drug addict would be or an alcoholic. I felt that food, this Taco Bell had a stronger hold on me than cigarettes ever did. That to me, Dr. Rahman, that is food addiction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I hear that, Chuck, I I keep thinking how it's, you know, it's like there was a sense of powerlessness with the food. It's like it's controlling you and you can't stop it. It's, It's dictating your actions and your mood and that that feeling that you just have no control over this is so powerful in all types of addiction, including food, what you're describing. And, and, and you're right. Food is addictive. Um, it's the one thing we consume consistently and regularly, and it plays a key role in all aspects of our life. All right. And, and I know that how quickly did you put on weight after you moved to the U S and started eating that standard American diet? Was that a pretty quick process for you? Yeah. So I moved here. um, I remember this. I came to the U.S. in February. um, And by December, I looked completely different. Um, I had put on quite a bit of weight. I was um, only 12 at the time. And I went from being a lean, you know, teenager to being uh, an overweight teenager. And it was very quick. um, And it was very hard to lose the weight. And I had no idea that this was happening because of my diet. I really was clueless. I just felt good eating the food. So I never made that connection. All right. And here's a quick reminder before we move on. If you have a question about plant-based diets and weight loss, go ahead and post that in the comment section. Now we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag in just a little bit, really diving into the science behind everything. Um, 
the question that I have for you right now is what motivates someone to try a plant-based diet? I would imagine it's a little bit different for everyone. Everyone's why is a little bit different, but overall, what do you find are some of the greatest motivators? Yeah, you know, I think for most people, it's not it's not the cosmetic issue. It's not an aesthetic. It's not about how they want to look in a swimsuit on the beach. It's really about feeling better. People don't like feeling sick and they don't like taking medication and they want to feel healthy. They want to feel like they did uh, when they were young and they could do all the things they enjoy doing and now they're limited. And it's really about reclaiming their health and feeling good again, feeling healthy and energetic. Um, that's what I find is the strongest motivator for most people. And we talked about how quickly we put on weight eating that standard American diet, but I think that anybody who's trying to lose weight wants it off and they want it off tomorrow. And so 24 hours, not realistic to lose all the weight, but how quickly after somebody subscribes to that plant-based way of eating, might they then start to experience some positive results? Yeah, you know, everyone is a little bit different. Um, the Typically, people can expect to lose anywhere from one to four pounds a week. It just depends. The more weight they have to lose, the faster they may lose it, the less they have, the slower it'll be. But based on research, we know that the average weight loss is roughly um, about a pound a week in research studies. Um, and most people experience that. But what's really fascinating is that even before the weight loss starts, they start to feel better. Um, their joints feel better. Their blood sugars come down. Their blood pressure comes down. They're sleeping better. Their heartburn's going down. And they just have this sense of energy that they didn't have before um, as they change their diet. So it's not just the weight. It's all these other aspects of health that may start to fall into place much sooner. And I know as a physician, I'm sure that you have counseled many patients through weight loss. What are some of the bigger successes that you've witnessed firsthand? Yeah, you know, my, um, well, so many, but the one that I always remember is I was uh, running the program at Kaiser and, and there was a young woman who was taking it with us. And um, I was just heading down the stairs from the second floor to the first floor, something that I sort of take for granted. And I looked behind me and she was right there behind me and we said, hello. And she said to me, you know, this is the first time I've been able to climb down the stairs that I haven't had to take an elevator in a long because my joints are feeling better. I can actually do this. And to me, that was uh, really amazing because it had only been a few weeks into our program and um, it wasn't the weight loss. It was just the inflammation in her body going down and she felt great. Something as simple as climbing stairs or going up and down that many of us take for granted was a huge feat for her. And um, that was really touching for me. Dr. Rahman there recently on the exam room live. Would love to have you join us, by the way, Monday through Friday at noon Eastern over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel. Set a reminder, join us noon Eastern. One final thought on weight loss, and that is you can do it. You may not think that you can, but believe me when I say you can. And the best thing that sets the plant-based diet apart is that hands down, 
it is the best way to keep the weight off for good. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And then your weight loss journey takes the next step. And it also becomes a journey for fighting cancer and Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, heart disease, asthma, arthritis, you name it. It becomes a journey about doing good also for animals and for the environment. And that, my friends, is a potent diet. Really quickly, I want to take a second to congratulate the gang over at Switch for Good and our friend Dotsie Bausch. She sent me an email with a link to a new scientific report that she and her team have just released. They call it Dairy Does a Body Bad. And you want to talk about myth busting here, right? Check out the tease from the top of the report. She writes, you are about to learn that cow's milk increases the risk of breast cancer, that stuffed crust pizza was funded into existence by the government, and that industry studies on chocolate milk compare the nutritive value of that beverage to water in order to skew marketability. That'll grab your attention. But wait, there's more. Based on rigorously cited essays by physicians, dietitians, and other health and nutrition experts, the report draws on a deep and growing body of independent peer-reviewed evidence about the negative effects of dairy consumption. Dairy does a body bad challenges the conventional wisdom that cow's milk is healthy for humans. So some key words in that literature. Independent and peer-reviewed. That is science that you can trust. That is science that you need. And that is science that needs to be heard. And there's a lot of history in this report as well. Like how cow's milk became synonymous with athletic performance. Was that idea being fueled by championship trophies and Olympic medals? Or was it bankrolled by big money? School's going to be in session there, so break out your pens and pencils, my friends. And all of the science on chocolate milk, by the way, is absolutely brilliant. We're talking about almost 10 pages worth of studies and facts that will make anyone think twice about calling milk some magical recovery elixir. And this report also takes a look at why dairy can be so doggone addictive. You know, Dr. Barnard refers to cheese as dairy crack, and that's for good reason. So the Switch for Good report, Dairy Does a Body Bad, it explains the narcotic-like properties of queso, and it goes on to crunch the numbers on the fat and the calorie that are found in cheese, the same cheese that we just can't give up. And so it is not a stretch at all to say that this too is a big part of our obesity epidemic. And so you have experts like Dr. Angie Sadegi. She's been on the exam room before. You've got experts like her looking at the effect that dairy has on your gut health. And simply put, it's not good, right? Shocker there. But Dr. Sadegi really coaches us up. 
she coaches us up and she takes a look at blood flow and tissue oxygenation and how they too are negatively impacted by dairy. So a ton of things are in this report, nearly 50 pages in all. And this is something that you're really going to want to share with your friends and your family, people who may not yet know this type of information. So what you have in this report is dozens of studies and dozens of pages of life-saving information from trusted sources. This isn't a fly-by-night organization. This is one that is filled with professional athletes, Olympians, team doctors of major professional sports leagues like the NFL and Major League Baseball. You are not going to be able to dismiss the information in this report as just being a bunch of hippie nonsense. This, this is the real deal. So the next time that someone tells you milk does a body good, just send them this report saying, no, no, dairy does a body bad. So we've got a link to that in the episode notes, or you can hop over to switchforgood.org to pick up your copy. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Exam Room podcast by the Physicians Committee, the very one that you're listening to right now, head over to Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your favorite shows. Hit that subscribe button. And when you do, please also leave that five-star rating because every five-star rating helps this information get in front of someone who needs it the most, someone who wants to improve their health and live a longer and healthier life. I want to say thank you once again to Richard Hubbard and Dr. Vanita Rahman for joining me on the show today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.